Hello, and welcome to the City Grace Podcast. We're so happy you've decided to join us today as we learn how amazing it is to follow Jesus. Enjoy the message. We're going to be talking about the Spirit today and, and, and the fullness of the promise and, and all the good stuff that goes along with that. So I'm, I'm really excited. I'm glad you're here. And this might be the last... Uh, message that we do in this series, but I hope it's been a blessing. Has this been a blessing to anyone uh, looking at the kingship of Jesus and just how he is king and how he was king and what he did to become king and how he is the king of our hearts today? It's such a beautiful truth, and and I hope that it's been a blessing for you. I've loved studying this and kind of you know camping out here for a while in my own personal studies. It's 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 blessed me if it hasn't blessed you. So I don't know. Maybe I just got the blessing, and y'all were just. Here, I don't know, but, uh, but it's certainly been a blessing. But the premise of the whole series, the reason that we did the series called See the King is that so many people seem to like Jesus when he was on the scene. Now, not the people that were in charge of the, the religious system or that kind of stuff, but the common folks loved Jesus. And it seems like even today with all of the criticisms of Jesus and Christianity and faith and those kinds of things, people don't usually, even critics, don't seem to deny that Jesus seemed to be a really, really good teacher or great guy or good guy, but it just seems like not enough people in our world seem to follow him. And I just think a lot of the problems that we see going on in the world would be solved if everybody would follow Jesus. Just imagine if we are, you know, what, what a thought our, our, our politicians would live their life and make their policy in ways that were better for everybody else involved. And so, you know, there's different reasons why people don't follow Jesus, why maybe you stopped following Jesus as part of your past. Maybe you went to church as a kid or, you know, maybe faith was something your parents did or your grandparents did, or maybe you did when you were younger, but then, you know, you kind of got older and it didn't seem like it worked or it didn't seem like it had any real impact in life. And I don't think you're a horrible person for thinking that. I think that somewhere along the line, we kind of missed or forget the reason, the reason that Jesus came here and and what exactly it was that he came to do. And so, you know, that's what this study was aimed at. Is is it possible to get behind all of the noise and all of kind of the, 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 the distractions around Jesus and recapture what was so compelling about the the most important figure in human history. And what we've been saying all along throughout the series is that Jesus came to bring something brand new. When he showed up and and started teaching his message and and doing his thing, it was all brand new. Even though it it was something that had been promised for a long time, they had never seen it before. They they didn't expect it to show up on the scene in those ways, in that way. And, And Jesus seemed to deal with people in new ways. It seemed like all the people who should have been outsiders Jesus was treating like insiders. And all the people who should have been insiders with Jesus, they kind of found themselves on the outs of of his relationships or his circle. And and all of it, you know, he was telling us was was this pointer, this, this, this message from God on how he felt toward everybody. And so, you know, we've been saying it like this throughout the series that Jesus came to bring a brand new covenant, a brand new command, and a brand new movement. And of course, the new covenant was a new way for people to enter into relationship with God. That You no longer have to earn your way into a relationship with God. That God has offered something unconditional. He has done a, and I will, even though you have not, type of covenant. That's what he is offering to everybody. And is anybody else besides me glad about that? I will, even though you haven't, even though I did it, even though none of us really deserved it, he did that for us. And we find this in, in Luke twenty two nineteen 19, on his last night uh, with his disciples there. He, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. Before you've done anything, before you've, you've made any changes on your own, I am offering something to, to you even though you have done nothing for me. And then not too many hours later from that, he would be nailed to a cross and an innocent man wrongly condemned to die and his blood would be poured out as a covering for everyone's injustices and, and everyone's sins. And then after the new covenant, or or even more than the new covenant, he brought the new command or the new ethic of the kingdom. And it actually, he gave that to them in in that same night, in that same room, or around that same table, eating that same meal. And and, and John tells tells us about it in John 13 and 34. Jesus told his followers or his, his closest disciples, a new command I give you, love one another. 
To which they would have said, well, that's not new. We, we've had the command to love one another all along. And then Jesus put the real sticky part on the end. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Unconditionally, even though you have insulted me and pushed me away and, and betrayed me and done me wrong. And even though in just you know, a few hours from now, you will all abandon me and desert me and curse me and say you don't know me. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. This was the new command of Jesus's movement, the new ethic to guide his, his movement. This was what the, his people were going to practice in his movement. His first ever people, you know, the people of Israel, they were given this amazing code of laws and this amazing system of, of laws and rules and regulations, and it just seemed like it never did help them. It never did change them. It just came to, it seemed to keep them wrapped up in guilt, and that's, the, that's because laws and rules don't make people good, Right? Laws and rules only tell us how low we can go before somebody else has to step in. There are tax laws, and tax laws don't make people generous. There are spousal abuse laws, and spousal abuse laws don't make people good spouses. There are child abuse laws, but child abuse laws don't make parents good parents. You need something more than a law. You need an impetus, a force inside of you compelling you to be a different kind of person all together. And so Jesus came and he said, I didn't come to give you another list of rules. I came to give you something brand new. And the spirit of what I have come to give you is found in this new command, that you have to love other people just like I have loved you. This is way easier to remember, but it is way, way more demanding to live out, to live every moment of life for the benefit of somebody else. But Jesus knows, hey, this all sounds great, a, a new covenant and a, a new command, you know, but, but spreading the message of my kingdom, spreading this message of my kingdom, being the kind of people that, that embody this kingdom ethic, it, it might be easy to kind of put into a few words, but it is going to be really hard to live out. And so on this same last night, this, this same meal, the same setting, where he gave them the new covenant and the new commandment, he, he starts to tell them, starting in John chapter 13, okay, guys, you're going to need some help living this out. In, in my kingdom, if you're gonna be the ones that carry it on after I leave, then you know, it, it runs on a new kind of power. And there's a new kind of force that moves it along. And, and those who aren't a part of my movement, they're gonna look at you and they're not gonna understand what you're doing and, and they're gonna persecute you and they're gonna hate you because they're about to persecute me and they're about to hate on me. But you need to know that there is a new power moving the people of my kingdom. And it's, it's unpredictable, as unpredictable as the wind to those that are on the outside. And, and it kind of directs people and moves people and blows people this way and, and that way. And my followers are going to be doing things that nobody would normally expect average people to do. There's going to be an invisible power guiding those who belong to my new movement. And so again, in that same night, in that same room, he gives the promise of the new source of kingdom power. John chapter 14, verses 15 and 16, he tells them, hey, look, if you love me, keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. Now, other translations, they use the word, you know, instead of advocate, they use the word comforter. They use the word helper. And the, the Greek word is parakletos, has nothing to do with birds, which I thought at first, but it does. Parakletos, and it's someone who comes alongside of you. Someone who comes to your aid when you can't do something on your own. And so he's about to go away. He's about to leave them, but he's about to send them something far better than what they had had so far. And he tells them in verse 17, I'm sending you the spirit of truth and the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. And you know, they had to be thinking, wait a minute, you're leaving, but you're sending us a ghost? Like how in the world is that better? And the world doesn't know him because it doesn't see, you know, they don't, they're not gonna accept him because they can't see him and, and they don't know him. Well, Jesus, we must be the world because I don't think we know any ghosts or see any ghosts. I think I would certainly remember being acquainted with a ghost. And Jesus goes on and he says, but you know him. To which they're thinking, no, we don't know him. For he lives with you and shall be in you. Now think about this. There's no electricity. They're in a tiny room. It's dark. There's candlelight everywhere. It would have been the perfect moment for Jesus to go, boo, 
know? Right? I mean, this, this ghost, this spirit is going to come around you. And, and you know, when Jesus in the Bible and in Christianity, when we start talking about spirits and ghosts and Holy Spirit and Holy Ghost, I mean, honestly, this is where church starts to freak some people out. Can I hear an amen? Any guests here brave enough to say amen? You know, just, I mean, like, come on. This is weird. Like, what in the world? The ghost thing? Y'all are about to light some candles, you know, do a seance in here. What's, I I don't even think I wore my good socks. I'm not sure what's about to happen. Like, what in the world is going on? But I wanted to talk about this because it, it gets spooky for some people, and it was never meant to be that way. When Jesus is talking to them, this is a promise. This is a gift that he's going to send. It's a parakletos. It's a helper. It's a comfort. But ghosts don't seem to comfort us very much. So you get to looking at it, and it's kind of interesting. When they were, when they were translating the Bible, you know, the, the Old Testament is written, written in Hebrew, and there's some Aramaic thrown in there, and, and then they had to translate that into Greek around the time of Jesus, and that's, that's a, a, a book called the Septuagint, and they did that because, you know, a few hundred years earlier, Alexander the Great had conquered the world under the Greek Empire, and so everybody spoke Greek. Even though Rome had come along behind them and kind of ruled the world at the time Jesus came along, everybody spoke Greek because of just how influential the Greek empire had been. So they all spoke this, this dialect of Greek. It's actually called Koine Greek. And, and so they needed, even the Jewish people, some of them needed their scriptures translated from Hebrew into Greek. But when they got to, to translating things into English, the Old Testament from Hebrew and Aramaic and the New Testament from Greek, the New Testament's all written in Greek. When they got to translating into English, there was no good word for the Greek or the Hebrew word for spirit in English. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word is ruach. Everybody say that with me. And, and hold on, pull, put your hand in front of your mouth before you do it. Say ruach. Yeah, because I don't want you to spit on the person in front of you. And then in the New Testament, the Greek word was pneuma. Pneuma. Ruach and pneuma. And, and the best literal definition or interpretation of these two, two words into English is actually a holy blast of breath from God himself. It is a wind that comes from the creator God himself. And it breathes over creation in Genesis and it breathes onto the prophets all through the Old Testament. And here we see Jesus talking about it in the New Testament, a spirit, a wind from God, a holy blast of breath from God himself. And I think it's kind of cool, these two words, ruach and pneuma, in in their original languages, they're actually onomatopoeias. You guys know what an onomatopoeia is? It's such a fun word to say. Say it, onomatopoeia. Oh, come on, one more time. Onomatopoeia. If you leave today and you don't learn anything else, at least you learn a new vocabulary word. But an onomatopoeia is a word like splash. It sounds like what it is. Hiss. It's an onomatopoeia. Bam. It just sounds like what it is. So we have ruach and pneuma. Come on, say it with me. Ruach, pneuma. Ruach, pneuma. Luke, I am your father. You know, I had that joke written in. I wanted to do that. I wish I could go around the whole audience right now and high five every nerd. I thought that was really really cool, but I guess I'll leave it alone. But in the English, let me move on. In the English, it's literally translated as wind in our New Testament. It's wind or it's breath. And then we see it other times in our New Testament translated as spirit, wind and spirit. Because it's the same Greek word, but there's no really good, you know, kind of English word that captures this idea of a holy blast of breath from God himself. And so they call it wind sometimes, or they call it spirit other times. But it is this force that comes from God himself that moves people certain ways, that moves messages into people's hearts that spill out from their lips and go into the ears and the hearts of other people. It is something coming from God. And it was never supposed to make people afraid. It was always supposed to be a message that would lead people back to God. And Jesus was telling his disciples, you guys are about to be in charge of the whole kingdom and you're going to need this power for yourself. But it was different and it's unpredictable because it comes from God 
And God doesn't think like me. And God doesn't think like you. In fact, there was one Jewish leader. He came to Jesus one night and he said, Jesus, we know you come from God. We see all the amazing things you do, but we can't ever predict what you're gonna do. It seems like every time we think you're gonna talk to this person, you talk to that person. Every time it seems like you're gonna accept this person, you reject that. We don't get what you were doing. And Jesus tells him, and look at this in John chapter three, verse eight, the wind, and in the Greek word, it's that word pneuma. The wind blows wherever it pleases. And you hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. Everybody in Fairfield gets this, right? You guys ever seen anybody trying to walk on a really windy day? It looks like they're drunk, right? They're st- like here, and then the wind blows them this way, and then it knocks over the tree in your front yard. All this, this wind's blowing, and you can't ever predict, especially for skinny people. That's why I'm overweight, because I live in Fairfield. It's too dangerous to be skinny, at times like this, you know, but there is this invisible force that is moving someone. Jesus is saying, the wind blows wherever it wants. And he goes on and he tells Nicodemus, listen, Nicodemus, the reason you can't predict what I'm gonna do is because you haven't been born of that same pneuma. Notice he uses the same Greek word in the beginning and the end of the verse. You don't have that wind inside of you yet. You don't feel when it's nudging me left and you can't feel when it's nudging me right. So you're standing still and it looks like I'm walking all kinds of ways you can't predict, but you need to get the wind inside of you for yourself and then you would understand exactly, exactly. So it, ever, so it is with everyone who is born of that spirit, of that wind that comes from God himself. It's a word play from Jesus. He's trying to tell him this is what it looks like to an outsider when they see someone directed by the motives and the love and the mercies and the grace of God. And when people looked at the life of Jesus, it was beautiful. It's beautiful. It's the reason I love him today. I'm so glad for that win from my creator, God. I'm so glad. He doesn't respond to my injustices and my failures like I would expect him to. There's a whole different win guiding him around. Amen, amen. I love it, I love it, I love it. So it's never supposed to freak you out. It was never supposed to be scary. But when they translated the New Testament into English, they started using spirit and ghost, and everybody got scared. Watch out for ghosts. I know the Ghostbuster said we ain't afraid of no ghosts, but I ain't a Ghostbuster. I don't know the number. I can't call them when something strange in the neighborhood. You know, I just, I, I can't. And so there was a pneuma that Jesus promised. There was a, a, a paracletos, a helper, an aid to come alongside, but it is not something to fear. It's never going to lead you to do something you regret. You're never going to get under the influence of the pneuma of God and wake up with a hangover or a tattoo that's spelled wrong. Come on, somebody. Some of us got tattoos of butterflies when we were young. Ten pounds later, that thing looks like a pterodactyl. Come on. <laughs> You'll never wake up with a pterodactyl after a night spent in the presence of the breath of God. You'll never... Oh. It is beautiful. It is fulfilling. It is full of peace and joy. It is... Come on, come on, get all over this room. Come on, right now. Come on, make your own invitation. Jesus, have your way. Jesus, fill my life with this wind from heaven. Flood my heart, Jesus, with your Holy Spirit. Mm. It is the influence and the willpower of the creator God living inside of us, breathing new possibilities into us, breathing new ways of seeing other people, breathing new ways of talking with other people and loving on other people. He may give you a word to speak to someone at some time. He, he may give you a prayer to pray for someone at some other time and it's unexpected and it kind of pushes you this way or that and it kind of makes you a little bit afraid. Sometimes. That's the beautiful life, the adventurous and risky life of living under the influence of the pneuma of God. But I am telling you, he gave this as a help so that you and I can change our world.
How many of you know that the ideas and the values and the systems of this world don't seem to be working? Our world is more divided than it has ever been. If there was ever a time that we needed some fresh air breathed into the stale air of our society of racism and hate and division, it is in 2018 and it starts with us. Come on, turn around and tell somebody it starts with us. So this is what it is. It's the Father breathing spirit and life through you, just like he did during Jesus' time on earth. And so Jesus is telling them, you guys know this wind. You guys know this Holy Spirit. It's been my words and, and my prayers and my teachings swirling all around you. But one day, one day coming very soon, this wind, this pneuma will be in you, speaking through you, speaking to your heart, your hearts and your minds. Now, this was unthinkable to them. These Jewish men, they, they, they had, you know, history and experience that, you know, in the past, God's words just come to a few special people. Like God's words came to, to, to Moses. Moses had the spirit on him and Moses even prayed for some other, you know, leaders to raise up in Israel. I wish that all the Lord's people, he said in Numbers, were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them not knowing that one day Jesus would allow that to happen. David, the, the, the old king and prophet and poet, Roman saw, wrote in Psalm 51, Lord, do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Well, it made sense that David would get the, to experience the Holy Spirit. He was, he was a king. He was a poet. He was a prophet. And Isaiah and Ezekiel and, Ezekiel and these other ones, it makes sense that they would all get to experience life influenced by the pneuma. But us? We're 11 very unspectacular followers of you, Jesus. No theological degrees among us. We're fishermen. We're tax collectors. We're common people. But soon you're telling us that the wind that has driven and spoken through our prophets in the past is now going to be given to us? And I think it scared them. I think it got them nervous, just like it makes some of us nervous sometimes. Well, what's it going to make me do? Come on, somebody. What's it going to make me say? What do you mean I got to, at every moment, live under the influence? What, what if he wants me to do something that I don't want to do? What if he blows me a certain direction and I may not want to? I, I think they started shuffling their feet. I think there started being some nervous, nervous glances around the room. You know, what an, what an awesome responsibility and what would it feel like and what would it be like to have the breath of God living in them. And Jesus goes on in chapter 14 of John and he says, all this I've spoken while still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Guys, I, I've been saying a lot. I've been teaching you guys a lot, but you don't have to worry. There's no quiz. You're not gonna get a quiz. You're gonna get a helper. And he's going to come and live in you. So relax, guys. He goes on in verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And to you, whoever you are, whatever stage you are following Jesus and the idea of a Holy Spirit or a Holy Ghost, you know, I mean, we in our, our services, we sing those songs, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. And guests are like, I don't know if I want to sing this to, you know, like potty break time. Like, oh, look, my kid's acting up and you're pinching him. Come on, somebody. Do not be afraid. Do not be Afraid. Now, why would Jesus tell them, do not be afraid? Because they were afraid. It's scary stuff he's talking about. Even though it was completely foreign, though, it was something that they wanted. They were, he was giving them an assurance that you, you have wanted to know your God and to be close to your God for so long. It's about to happen. You are about to experience the constant presence of God living in you, walking through life with you, never far away from you again, but always as close as your own consciousness the spirit and the presence of God. They were about to be handed the kingdom 
Over the next three chapters, Jesus would pray what's called his priestly prayer over them and, 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 and kind of you know, designate them as, as the, the movers of his kingdom and of his movement and the leaders. And, and he prayed, you know, Father, I pray that you keep them in this world. I'm about to leave the world, but I want you to keep in the wor- them in the world. Don't take them out of the world. To which they're thinking, well, wait a minute. If you're leaving, why, why can't we leave too? It's about to get hostile up in here. It's about to get really hostile, you know, even more so after you're crucified. And Jesus is telling them, do not be afraid. My peace I leave with you and I give to you, not like the, nor- the world normally gives peace. There is a higher assurance of peace, so do not let your heart troubled. And they all had misgivings about what Jesus was leaving them to do. And, and maybe none more than Peter. And Peter, at this time, when Jesus is, you know, it's the last few hours. Jesus is about to be crucified and arrested and crucified and everything else. And so Peter starts making some really audacious claims. You know, Jesus, even though all these other chickens are going to run away from you, I'm never going to leave you. To which Jesus says, oh, really? It's in the footnote in one of the translations. I saw it there. Peter says, Jesus, I have a sword. Do you want me to bring it? And Peter, Jesus looks at him and says, sure, Peter, go ahead. Bring your sword with us. And so they leave that last supper, that upper room, and they go to the garden where Jesus often went to pray. And Judas had told the temple leaders where Jesus was going to be. And so Judas shows up with a temple guard. And these disciples and Peter hear the sounds of the temple guard marching toward them. And like a bad dream, they see and they hear Jesus being confronted and, and, and being arrested for no reason. And what's worse, Jesus isn't even putting up a, you know, a fight or resistance about it. And Peter can't take it. Peter can't take it anymore. This is his moment. He's going to step up and fix everything that's going wrong. And he's told his king that he's going to stand by him. And so Peter grabs his sword and he swings at one of the guards with all of his power. With all of his power. With all of his ability. Not the kingdom power. Not the kingdom authority. But his own power. And the guard ducks like one of those things. I thought I'd do the action move for you. The sword goes and cuts off the guy's ear. It's how close it comes to killing him. And in a last miracle, Jesus tells Peter to stop it and put his sword away. And Jesus stoops down and takes the severed ear, the bloody severed ear of this guard that's come to unjustly arrest him. And Jesus puts it back onto his head and he heals him in his last Miracle, and you can almost see him, you can almost hear him looking over to Peter, saying, It's a different kind of kingdom, Peter. It's a different kind of power, and it's too much for Peter. And Jesus is clearly not going to be fighting back in the ways that they had expected. And so Peter and the rest of them absolutely flee and run away, and they leave Jesus by himself. All the claims of bravery and bravado, all the claims that he's going to stay there and, and, and be with Jesus and never leave Jesus, he's gone. And a little bit later, he's, he's trying to follow the proceedings in the outer courts and he's mingling with the crowds and trying to get close and hear what's happening to Jesus. And while he's there, he's, he's got himself kind of covered up in disguise. And, and one of the girls around one of the fires there, she looks up at him and says, hey, I, I recognize you. You're one of Jesus' followers, aren't you? And Peter looks at this young girl and he swears and he curses and he says, I don't even know the man. And he turns and he runs away. But he's still trying to find out and so he mingles in with another crowd and he gets accused and recognized and accused again and he says it again and recognized and accused a third time and he's cursing and saying, I don't know him. And then to Peter's Horror, eventually, he watches from the back of the crowd as his king, his friend, his Jesus is led up a hill, nailed to a cross, and he dies. And in Peter, Peter's eyes and in Peter's heart and in Peter's mind, he knows that Jesus was led up a hill alone, nailed to a cross alone, and died alone, alone. No Peter, no James. No Andrew, no Thomas, they've all abandoned him. And for three days, the Jesus movement was over. And the Jesus movement was over because they were afraid. Because they were afraid. Because they did not have a parakletos. 
because they did not have yet a helper, a comforter, an advocate to be with them until on the first Easter morning, these cowardly and cowering men saw something that drove every fear from their minds and drove every doubt from their hearts. They saw a risen Jesus and the world would never be the same. And the world and me and you, if you'll let it, will never be the same. And James and John and Andrew and even Thomas eventually would be changed and they would become bold and, and daring. And, and they, but for Peter, it would be a little bit harder. For Peter, it would be a little more difficult because he realized and he remembered and he knew his failure and that he had run away when he had said that he alone would not run away. And when you read the last chapter of John's account of, of Jesus's life and Jesus's ministry, there's, there's this moment where Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, comes face to face with Peter and he asks Peter this question. He looks at him and he says, Peter, do you love me? Oh, like a dagger to his heart. Jesus, you know I, I ran away. Jesus, you know I left you all alone. How can you ask me if I love you? And he tells them, when you studied out in the Greek, it's so beautiful. He tells them, Jesus, I love you, but it's only with a friend level kind of love. I can't offer you any more than that, Jesus. You know, you know what I've done and you know that I left you all alone. And Jesus looks him in the eye and Jesus forgives Peter, but he doesn't just forgive Peter. He restores Peter. He redeems Peter. He forgets his cowardice. He forgets his abandonment. And he restores Peter to what he designed Peter to be. He offers not just forgiveness, but restoration. And the man who cursed and swore that he never knew Jesus would stand up in just a few days' time and speak words of hope and promise to a stale and dying world through the mouth of Peter, through the lungs of Peter, across the vocal cords of Peter would come the pneuma, the, the, the advocate, the help, the God's breath himself offering promise to those lost people. And those same words have spoken and come into your life and my life. In fact, all of those early followers received a boldness from the Holy Spirit of God. And their lives during the book of Acts are risky and they're daring. And it's, it's almost like they were being driven this way and, and that way. And people on the outside of the movement couldn't understand why they behaved like they behaved. Why do you treat each other so nice? Why do you love each other? In a world, according to historians, that it was up to 50% slaves. They welcomed slave and free, male and female, Jew and non-Jew. Racial barriers were not there anymore. Social class barriers were not there anymore. They simply loved each other with a force that was completely foreign to the world. But it was something that Jesus had promised all along. It was the breath of heaven living in them. It was the breath of heaven flowing through them and blow. Oh, come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. Have you been welcomed? Have you been invited? Have you done anything to deserve what has been spoken to you? No, and neither have I. Nobody ever has, but the breath of heaven spoke through them, and it still speaks through the church today that God is calling everyone back into restoration. He wants to redeem anyone and everyone who will listen to what he has to say. In this early church, their lives were risky, and it's, it seemed like they were living by a different agenda and different influences, and they, they seemed to challenge the same kinds of people that Jesus challenged. They seemed to love and to reach for the same kind of people that, that Jesus loved and, and he reached for. And then they seemed to, to love people in the same way that Jesus had loved them. And just like its founder, the Jesus movement, the Jesus kingdom, the Jesus way of being led by the breath of God himself had come to life again, had come to life again, come to life again. And 50, 50 days after that, that night of their last supper, before Jesus was arrested, 50 days later, 
the, the Last Supper and his arrest, the Jewish people would celebrate a, a festival at that point, and then 50 days later celebrate another festival called the Festival of Pentecost. And it was a festival where they would remember when they had received the conditions of their old covenant. This was the time that they used to mark out when they had received their Ten Commandments and when they had seen their prophet Moses ascend up a mountain and, and there was fire and smoke and thunder and he came down with tablets of stone. And Jesus picked this festival, the festival of Pentecost, to send the power of the new covenant to the people of the new movement. Jesus picked this festival this marking of the time when Israel had been constituted as his people to mark out when everybody could be constituted as his people. And he sent the pneuma, the wind of God, to blow into his followers. And Luke picks it up for us in Acts chapter one. Just a few days before this festival, in Acts chapter one, Luke tells us in verse three that after his suffering, Jesus presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive and he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and he spoke to them about the kingdom of God. Hey guys, this is what had to happen because I am the kind of king that I am. This is what had to happen because this is the power that my kingdom runs on. It is the power of love and forgiveness. And this is the way that I have won people back to myself. I, I, don't, I didn't wanna win territory. I wanted to win souls. I didn't want to win land. I wanted to win hearts. And so I have done something beautiful for all the world. And now you are to take this good news of the kingdom that the enemies of the new king would be forgiven. He goes on in verse four. On one occasion, Luke tells us, while Jesus was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which, we, which you have heard me sp speak about. And he's asking them, guys, do you remember about 40 days ago when we had that supper? Remember about 40 days ago when I started talking to you about ghosts and, and pneuma and wind and all this stuff? Remember I told you about the, you know, the strange things about me going away and I've been telling you that one day this is gonna be your movement to advance? I told you that you're gonna get that helper, that advocate. Remember I told you do not be afraid? I just wanna remind you that it's coming. And he goes on and he says, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the holy pneuma, the holy breath of God himself. That like your first baptism, you were completely immersed in it. You were completely submerged in it. It covered all parts of you as you were buried under that water. So this spirit thing that I have promised, the helper that I have promised, your life is going to com be completely immersed in him. He wants to be present in every moment and every facet and every aspect of your life. He wants to surround your heart and your mind and he wants to lead you and nudge you this way and nudge you that way and direct you into the new kind of life that I have promised you can have. And just like that old baptism was a symbol of washing away your old life, you're going to need something to help you live out your new kind of life. If you're gonna forgive like me, if you're gonna love each other like I have loved you, if you're gonna show the world what it means to be truly human, then you are going to need a helper. Isn't this so much better than a new list of rules? How many in here have ever sped? Come on. Come on, raise your hand. Come on, lift it high and proud. If I wasn't holding a microphone, I'd put up two hands. What is it about that, that you know what the law is, but you still choose to break it? What is it, men, that you know she doesn't want you to leave your dirty socks on the floor? And yet every day, dirty socks on the floor. <laughs> I better stop with the marriage thing right there. Let's just, well, what is it that even though we may know what the right thing to do is, that we still do the wrong thing? Even though we may, not, we may know what the wrong thing to do is, there was something in us that still want, makes us want to do it, drives us to do it. A list of rules doesn't help you. 
A list of rules has never helped me. What I need is a new force on the inside. What I need is a brand new heart and a brand new nature to turn me into the kind of person that doesn't need a list of rules anymore. I don't want to be better. I want to be brand new. I don't want to be reformed. I want to be transformed. I want to be something I've never been before. I know the old me. You don't want to know the old me. So Jesus, come into my life. Jesus, let the wind of heaven blow into my life every day, every moment, every minute, in every relationship, in every circumstance. Flood me, Jesus, with the wind of heaven. Lead my life and guide my life. Because I find that in myself and by myself alone, I'm just not able. I'm just not good enough. I'm just not that guy. And I wish so bad that I could be that guy. I wish that I could have been that guy and not done some of the things that I did do, some of the things in my past. Come on, you guys know what I'm talking about. Moments and circumstances and relationships and words and deeds that we wish so bad we could go back in time and get a do-over on it. We can't. The moment is gone. We will never go back there again. But if we are never changed, if we are never filled with the breath of heaven and influenced to be a new kind of person altogether, then we will be doomed to make the same failures again that we did before. And this is what's so powerful about the kingdom message of Jesus. He did not just come to forgive your sins. He came to save you from your sins. He did not just come to wash away your old sins. He came to fill you with a power that will make you the kind of person who never wants to sin and to fail again. Oh, to be the kind of person with a good heart. To be the kind of person that is worthy of your respect and your friendship. That is worthy of my wife. That is worthy of my kids and their love. And their devotion to me and then in turn to love them. And to find in them a spark of Jesus also. It's the best kind of life. Come on, all over this room, could you close your eyes and just tell him, Jesus, fill me with that kind of life. Come on, come on, make it your prayer. Come on, we can pause here for a moment. Jesus, fill me with that kind of life. Jesus, flood me with that wind from heaven. Lead me and guide me and direct me, Jesus. Mm, I've tried so long on my own. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I need you. Come on, church. Come on, all over the room. Don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. Come on, lift up your voice. Make invitation in your heart. Jesus, have your way. Jesus, have your way. Jesus, have your way. So he told him, go to Jerusalem and wait. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. So they went to Jerusalem and they waited. About 10 days they waited until Acts chapter 2 and verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind. A wind. A fresh start. Fresh air from heaven. Sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw, and we sang about it this morning in that song, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled. They were filled. They were filled. They were immersed, baptized with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak in other tongues. And what in the world was this that was going on as the Spirit enabled them? But from what they spoke on that day, God began to breathe a new reality into their world. See, they began to speak in languages that they had never learned. 
They began to speak in languages not as their mom had enabled them or their Sunday school teacher or their preschool teacher or kindergarten teacher. As the spirit, the pneuma, the wind enabled them to speak a supernatural sign that God was doing that thing that he had always promised. And around them, they're gathered these people from all over the different parts of the, that world that had come to Jerusalem for this festival of Pentecost. And they, they began to look at who, the, who was in the crowd up there speaking in all these languages and said, what in the world? They're, they're speaking all our different languages, but they shouldn't know all these languages. Here, mostly everybody just knows Hebrew and, and some Koine Greek. They really don't all even know Hebrew. That's why the scriptures had to be translated into Greek. Most of them just speak Greek, but they're speaking in these different languages and, and what, the, what they're saying is that God has done something wonderful. That God, through Jesus Christ, has done something brand new. That there is a new kind of king who has come not to conquer territory, who has not come to wage war and swing a sword at his enemies, but who hung on a cross. And as he was nailed there by his enemies, he prayed, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. They heard them speak about the wonders of God. It was strange. and It was new. It was different. They heard a message from a king that they had killed and they had crucified themselves that said, I forgive you. And I welcome you in all of your sins and all of your injustices. You don't have to pay for them yourself. The price, the penalty has already been paid. And there was a new reality waiting for everyone. A new reality waiting for everyone who will. And they, 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 they got convicted. And Peter, of all the people, Peter, the guy that had failed Jesus maybe the most, the guy that had cursed and said he never knew them, suddenly got up. And where he had gotten this boldness from, they weren't sure. Like he was directed by something they couldn't see, but it was that pneuma. It was the spirit speaking through Peter. And he said, we've been promised this a long time, people of Israel. We've been promised this for centuries and it's finally here. And you know that it was supposed to show up when Messiah showed up. Well, guess what? Messiah showed up and I got some bad news. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. He finally showed up to bring what we have always needed and what we have always wanted in you. You've crucified him. And I saw it and I was there. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter, to the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied to them, repent, repent. See, Peter knew that his king had offered himself as a covering for the very injustice that had condemned him, condemned him to die. And so Peter tells him, why don't you start by turning to him? That's what this word repent means. Turn to him. Start following him. Stop doing life your way. You know where it has led you. You see what it has produced in you. But turn to Jesus and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your forgiveness? We've just crucified him and what he offers us is forgiveness. And to you this morning, I would say, I don't know what you've done. I don't know where you've been. I don't know who you've been or who you've been with. I don't know any of that and I don't need to know. I don't even want to know. Don't tell me, please. But whatever you've done, that has separated you from God. Whatever you have done that has made you feel like, is there any hope for me? Does God even want anything to do with me? I'm telling you from the very beginning, his pneuma, his spirit has been speaking the same and consistent message. That confession of your sins does not lead to your condemnation. Confession of your sins leads to your restoration can be restored. You can be forgiven. You can be forgiven. You can be forgiven. And then, so that you never have to be that person again, you, you, and you, and you, and you, and you, 
you, you, you, you, you, you will receive the pneuma. This promise is for you. It's for your children. It's for all that are afar off, for all whom the Lord, our God, will call. I wonder this morning, is he calling anyone? I wonder this morning, come on, is he calling you? Come on, I don't know where you've been or what you've been. Is he calling you? Come on, do you feel something? What is it that made you come here this morning? Hopefully it wasn't just your wife. Come on, what is it? What brought you here? What is it about Jesus that you see him and you can't, you can't quite look away? And then sometimes it does seem like you're successful for a little while. You know, you kind of forget about him for a little while. You go through something and it seems like God's so distant and God's so far away. But there's something, there's something I would say to you this morning. It's, it's the voice. It's the wind calling to you. He wants to change you and he wants to forgive you. And he wants to restore you to what he designed you to be. That there is a new and different kind of life and you don't have to be trapped by the same addictions that you're trapped by now. You don't have to be stuck in the same behavioral ruts that, that got you to where you are. That there is a brand new reality that can breathe fresh air into the staleness of your old life, your old existence. Can we all stand this morning all over this room? If you would bow your heads with me, if you'd close your eyes with me all over this room. Jesus, I pray for us this morning. God, I believe that your voice is calling. I believe it because you called me. I'm not special. I don't deserve any. You know what I deserve, Jesus. You knew, you know what I deserved. But yet you forgave me and you restored me. And that same voice that called to me, I know because you cannot lie and you have spoken it through your word. Your wind, your pneuma spoke it through Peter and through the other apostles. Your wind and, and your, no, your pneuma spoke through my pastor into my past when I was lost and apart from you. And you called me. You're calling this morning, Jesus. You're calling to each and every one of us. I pray that you help us to not be afraid, to walk forward into your peace, to walk forward into a life filled with your continual and constant presence, to be filled with your joy, to be fulfilled by a life lived in close relationship with you. Call us to yourself this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. For more information about City Grace, you can find us online at citygrace.church. We'll see you next week.